Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. If I were to ask you today, who is Jesus? How would you respond? If we were to pull people to the side on the street corner and ask the question in this country, who is Jesus? What do you think people would say? Some, no doubt, would talk about his compassion, kindness, love, tenderheartedness. No doubt some people would talk about him being a great teacher, an esteemed teacher. There are those that would talk about his concern for the disabled, sick, afflicted, disenfranchised. There would be some that would talk about the fact that Jesus was a champion for those who were facing social injustices in his day. And no doubt all of those things are true. But more importantly, who is Jesus? What does the Bible have to say about the one we call Jesus? You remember in Matthew chapter 16, we have an account of Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, which was in northern Palestine. On that occasion, the Lord Jesus asked the disciples a very pointed question. He wanted to know what people on the street thought about him, about his identity. And so he asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked this all-important question, But whom do you say that I am? And you remember the Apostle Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In our lesson today, what we want to do is take a look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus and establish the fact that He is the Son of God. I want to direct your attention to the book of John today in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And listen, if you would, to what the Apostle John said, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. As we investigate this passage of Scripture and begin to unpack the sacred contents contained therein. The first thing that we want to talk about has to do with the man, Jesus, or the Savior. And I want to begin our study today by first and foremost talking about the truth as it relates to Jesus. John, in his narrative of the life of Christ, begins in chapter 1 by introducing us to the pre-incarnate Christ. And the idea here is that Jesus existed prior to taking upon himself human flesh. 
John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. An affirmation by the Apostle John that Jesus was and is God. He is the second member of the Godhead. He has always existed. He will always exist. The great prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, said that in the year that King Isaiah died, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, and he said he was high and lifted up. And the Bible tells us that on that occasion there were seraphim, angelic beings, a class of angels. And they were crying out before the throne, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. John, in chapter 12 of this narrative that we're looking at today, affirms for us that the one Isaiah saw sitting upon that throne was the Christ, or the second member of the Godhead. Now bear in mind that in John chapter 1, John is establishing for us the fact that Jesus is the second member of the Godhead. He has always existed. You remember the great prophet Micah. In chapter 5, Micah the prophet foretells of the birthplace of the Messiah, or the Christ, the Anointed One. In Micah chapter 5 at verse 1, he identifies the birthplace as Bethlehem. But in that context, he speaks of the one who is to come. And here's what he had to say, Whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. Micah there telling us that the one to come, the Messiah, the one who would be robed in human flesh that would be born in Bethlehem, that his goings forth are from of old, literally from the days of eternity. We're talking now about the fact that Jesus has always existed, or the Word has always existed. You remember in Colossians chapter 1, Paul in his discussion of the Christ, said he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were made by him and through him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Take note, if you would, at that phrase, he is before all things. What Paul is saying there is that Jesus was antecedent to creation. Now, he was the agent by which the world was made. No doubt he affirms that fact. But what Paul is saying is that Jesus was, is the perfect representation of the Father. Furthermore, that Jesus has always existed. He existed prior to creating the world as we know it. Now you remember in the book of John, in chapter 8, Jesus would say of himself, before Abraham was, I am. Indicating here that before Abraham was born, and we're talking about 2,000 years earlier 
in the history of the human family. And the Lord Jesus is saying, before Abraham ever came into existence, before he was ever birthed into this world, he said, I existed. The fact that he is the great I am, that eternal self-existent one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The fact of the matter is that in his pre-incarnate state, he always existed. But then what about in his incarnate state? The fact that he took upon himself human flesh. You remember John said in chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When did Jesus take upon himself human flesh? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that Jesus was to be born of a virgin. Now, you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, following the fall of man in the garden, God began unveiling his redemptive plan, setting forth the promised seed. And then in Genesis chapter 12, there was the calling of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. And God said to that great patriarch in days gone by, that it would be through his lineage that all nations or families of the earth would be blessed. That statement by the Lord to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in Galatians chapter 3. You remember he said, we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as, been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he said, it's in that context that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, male nor female. For if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So that primary promise fulfilled in whom? In Jesus, the Son of God. So that promise was made back in Genesis 3.15, spoken of by the Lord to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that through his seed line, all nations would be blessed. Through the seed line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. Second Samuel chapter 7 tells us that the promised seed would run through the family of David. We come down to Isaiah 7, 14. We read just a moment ago, or we noted just a moment ago, that the Christ was to be born of a virgin. And then we come to Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew provides us with that royal seed line of the Christ, or the one to come the one who would take upon himself human flesh. And you remember in that genealogy that is provided by the inspired writer that he talks about Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac Jacob and so on. But then in that same context, and there are some 39 times that the writer speaks or uses the word begot, but then he talks about Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who's called the Christ. What was the difference there? Well, the difference was that Jesus did not have a biological father. But rather, the angel said to Joseph that that which was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit, that she would bring forth a son, his name would be called Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. 
And so in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew said, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now listen to what he said, which is translated God with us. What are we saying then? That Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, took upon himself human flesh. I'm not sure that my finite mind can fully comprehend the fact that the second member of the Godhead was willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth to be robed in human flesh, to live among mankind, and to die for the sins of the human family. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. Jesus left heaven to come to earth to fulfill the will of Almighty God. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer quotes David in the Psalms, in Psalm 40, and said, A body you have prepared for me. And then in that same context, the Hebrew writer said on behalf of the Christ, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. What was God's will for his son? That he die for the sins of the human family. Did Jesus understand his purpose for coming to earth? Well, he did. How do I know that? Because Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He would say, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for the many. I like the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 19. Paul said that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now there's a second thing that we ought to talk about. First, the truth as it relates to Jesus. But then, secondly, the testimony about Jesus. And again, we go back and look at the scriptures. In John chapter 1, following the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, you remember John placed his stamp of approval on the deity of Christ. He said that he had seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Nathanael acknowledged that Jesus, that he was the Son of God, the King of Israel. And then I think about over in John chapter 6. You remember in that context that the Bible tells us Jesus had identified himself as the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. And he points out that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have everlasting life. The Bible tells us that those who were present on that occasion, you remember John said, many went back and walked no more with him. They said, this is a hard saying, a difficult saying. Who can understand it? Jesus then turned to the 12, and he asked this question. Will you also go away? And the Bible tells us that Peter, in response to that question, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Now note, and we have come to believe 
and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, here's a question. How did Peter and the other apostles, how did they come to believe that Jesus Christ, that he had the words of eternal life, and that he was indeed the Son of God? I think there, were two, there are two ways that they came to understand Jesus to be the Son of God. Number one, the message that he preached was incomparable. The message that Jesus shared was unlike any other that had been known to the human family. Go back, for example, to the book of Matthew for a minute. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said on a number of occasions, you've heard that it's been said by them of old time. But then inserting divine authority, and Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28 in verse 18, and God the Father said of his son, when transfigured on the mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and the Bible tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene. Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, Elijah, who stood for the great prophets of God, who thundered his message in days gone by. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he tagged it with this, hear ye him. Whatever the Lord says, we need to be very careful that we pay close attention. And so in light of that, the Bible says at the conclusion of that great sermon on the mount, the record says that those who heard him were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And then you remember, for example, over in John chapter 7 at verse 46, it was said of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. No wonder Peter and the other apostles could affirm that he had the words of life eternal. Jesus would later say in chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The only way that we can enjoy fellowship with the Father is through Jesus Christ. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin separates us from God. That's what Isaiah said in chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. And yet the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In light of that great fact, we have God on the one hand, the human family on the other, and Jesus Christ in the middle. And through his mediatorial work, he brought the two parties together. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God would have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. He said there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And by the way, that underscores the fact that Jesus became man, took upon himself human flesh. So they came to understand something about his deity by his message. But then secondly, the miracles, all of the great miracles that he performed. Let's just spend some time and talk about the miracles of Jesus. That is, the signs. The signs of the miracles produced wonder and awe among many people who saw those signs. They saw firsthand. You know, in the book of John, we have a catalog of seven very specific miracles or signs that Jesus wrought in the first century. Now, if you go back and look at Matthew, Mark, 
Luke and John, there are about 34, 35 different signs that we can read about. But there were also many other signs that John said that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that is in the Gospel of John. But again, there are about 34, 35 signs throughout the four Gospel narratives. Nonetheless, the seven signs recorded by John were recorded for the purpose of producing faith in the lives of people. Now again, when Peter said to the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And then he said, we have come to believe and to know that you're the Christ, the Son of God. How did they come to know that? Well, number one, as I said a minute ago, by the great message that they heard, that message that was preached and taught time and again. But then secondly, the miracles affirmed or authenticated his claims of deity. In John chapter 5 at verse 36, Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Look at John chapter 2. Jesus turned water into wine or grape juice at a marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. And the Bible says that this was the first sign that he had performed in Cana of Galilee and that was a revelation or a manifestation of his glory. And the text says his disciples believed on him, showing his power over matter. In John chapter 4, we have Jesus healing the nobleman's son over a distance. In other words, they weren't face to face, demonstrating his power over distance. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a lame man, someone that had been lame or disabled for 38 years. In chapter 6, we have an account, and that would demonstrate his power over disability. In John chapter 6, we have an account of Jesus feeding 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish, demonstrating again his power over matter. And in that same chapter, we have Jesus walking on water, demonstrating his power over nature. In John chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave sight to a man born blind, demonstrating his power over disease, disability again. And then in chapter 11, the pinnacle of all of his miracles. The Bible tells us that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now imagine if you can, standing at the tomb of Lazarus and hearing Jesus instruct those people to remove from the mouth of the tomb the door. And their response was, Lord, by this time, his body's already undergoing decomposition. And yet they followed the instructions of Jesus. The Lord Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells us he came forth. What then was the purpose of the miraculous? Well, again, it was to authenticate the claims of his deity, to confirm the word, that is, the word of Almighty God. Peter and the apostles they had the opportunity to stand in the presence of Jesus. They saw the miracles, they heard the message, and their conviction was, we have come to believe and to know that you are exactly who you claim to be. And who is that? Oh, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. So we talk about the man Jesus, the savior, the miracles of Jesus, his signs. Thirdly, let's talk about the message of Jesus, or the scriptures. Now listen again to what John said. 
Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why, John? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Number one, to understand that the purpose for John recording these signs was to produce faith in the lives of people. Did you know that it's incumbent on us to sift the scriptures, to go back and to analyze the record, to evaluate what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded by inspiration? And by the way, the record that they provide us with is the inspired word of the living God. Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, every scripture is inspired of God and is profitable to understand that God has given us his word. The intent is to help to aid us so that we might enjoy fellowship with him and ultimately to enjoy eternal life. That being said, we have to go back and look at the record to examine the teaching of Jesus, to look at the great miracles that he performed. As we sift through the scriptures, we must then come to a conclusion. And the conclusion or the decision that we arrive at concerning the identity of the Christ will ultimately determine our destiny. I ask you again, who is Jesus? What do you think about him? What conclusion have you arrived at when it comes to the Christ? As you think about that, note a second thought here. First, the purpose, that is to produce faith. Now, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. John said that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So here's something to really think about for a minute. It matters whether or not we come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that there are many people that would say, well, it's really not that big of a deal. Well, listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 8, the Lord himself said, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What did you say, Lord? Except you believe that I am, that eternal self-existent one, you will die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. How then can I enjoy the promise of eternal life? You remember back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus approached Jesus at night on one occasion. And the Bible tells us that Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, or cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought he was talking about a physical birth, so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 7 of chapter 3, Jesus said, You must be born again. To be born again is to be born again into the kingdom of God. Well, how does that happen? We take God's revelation provided by the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is the one that has given us the scriptures. 
We take what God has said, and then we put into action his teaching. So what then does that mean? It means that I need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the only way that I can enter the kingdom of God or the church is by believing in the Lord Jesus, repenting of sin, confessing his name, and then being immersed in water. For what reason? Well, to be saved, according to Mark 16, 16. To enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. To have my sins washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. If we'll do that and then live a faithful life until death comes, the assurance is the crown of life. My prayer is that we would come to, come to know Jesus as the Son of God and then live for him day in and day out so that one day we might live with him. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m. Please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.